Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hmm. Have you ever thought about musicals and history? Have you listened to our latest podcast? We bring you knowledge with tales of woe and glory. Talking about musicals and truths from our past. The protests, resistance. We learn through our complete history. In fighting the man, we act up as one. Let's start a future that brings us all together. Stronger as friends. Tomorrow can be fun. Moving with love. Learning with love. Leading with love. Started with love. We're talking musical history. We're talking musical history podcast. I am Kevin. I'm Chris. And welcome to Talking Musical History Podcast. You know, the podcast that allows you to um, really just uh, um, listen to two guys uh, just singing their uh, uh, butts off and also talking about random historical events and musicals because you love all of those things and you are a part of a very sliver of uh, the world that gets to truly enjoy this. This time we are talking about rent. How we gonna pay? Hey, you wanna know what? The rent is too damn high. And that is the truth. How did rent come to be? How did rent come to be, Kevin? Well, rent is a modern update of the classic opera La Boheme by Giacomo Puccini. Ah, Giacomo Puccini. He has been called the second best Italian opera composer after Giuseppe Verdi. La Boheme is a story set in Paris in 1830s or 40s, okay. much like the 80s or 90s of Rent. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, um, it, it, it is kind of like an amalgam of things, yeah. though, like, uh, um, in my head, I realized that, like, uh, um, Rent could literally be about COVID. Like, you could, you could remove AIDS and put COVID in its spot, and then Rent would still be the exact same story. And then you could add cell phones, and it'd be great. The original story credit goes to Henry Merger. Scenes of Bohemian life or scenes de la vie de Bohème. It was about a bunch of struggling artists and Mimi dies at the end of this show, La Bohème. Puccini had other work uh, as well as uh, besides La Bohème. Tosca in 1900 and Madame Butterfly in 1904, which precedes... M. Butterfly, a similar kind of a story, but 
the actual update was Miss Saigon. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Miss Saigon uh, is a, a a very fun story, you know, uh, set in Vietnam. Um, but very, very cool thing. You know, like uh, um, Level M, just like uh, um, it, it's really interesting how, how many different stories it's touched. Even like you, you think about... Uh, um, Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, yeah. Well, Baz Luhrmann actually did a version of La Boheme. It's just interesting how many uh, uh, stories, like styles of stories have come out like based off of this. Like, and, and, and it's very interesting, you know, like this uh, um, tale of the, the proletariat, as they say. Well, let's go a little bit over the voice types and the roles of La Boheme. Because you will see the very close similarities. Starting off with the original basis of Rent with Lava Lem, we have Rodolfo, who is a poet. His type, his voice is a tenor. Fights perfectly with Roger, who I know is a tenor as well. Mimi, Mimi is a seamstress, and her voice is a soprano. Marcello a painter baritone that's essentially Mark, Musetta, a singer, soprano, Chenard, a musician, he, he is a baritone, he is a baritone, Colleen, a philosopher, bass, Benoit, their landlord, a bass. You know, no, to be fair about earlier, I mean, she could be a baritone. We we had a um in our choir we had women that sing bass and I think that's awesome. So I've seen now I can say I've seen both. While watching La Boheme, you do get very very close parallels between La Boheme like based off of it, but it's not like a direct parallel, right? Especially when you're talking about the character of Mimi specifically in La Boheme, uh, what she's um like like a symbol of purity. Right. And, and in Rent, she really isn't. Right. The line, it's pure. I think that's supposed to be at least talking about pure drugs being the symbol of purity. Really? They do have the candle scene. The candle scene is directly taken from the original text. And so that is the one. And then it's interesting because you always focus on Mimi and Roger as the central characters in both stories. Yeah. But other times you look at other couples as more important in Rent than you do in La Boheme. True. Definitely true. Um, yeah, I, like, uh, um, I'm just... Uh... But it is different. I mean, there are obviously differences. Tuberculosis for AIDS. Well, yeah, no, obviously, not, not that, but I mean, like, just the, just the level of purity and the fact that Mimi doesn't die, right? You know, honestly, when you think about it, uh, um, the purity of the Mimi in uh, uh, La Boheme is very different than the purity uh, Rent. Really, I think, I think like Rent, what Rent does is kind of splits Mimi uh, and makes right into yeah. two characters, making Angel partial Mimi. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, uh, like, and I feel like that makes more sense because Angel is honestly pure, right? Like, Angel isn't a part of like uh, anything else. The only, the only by making Angel. The one that dies. She is also the one that kills the dog. But the dog was a sacrifice. Right, clearly. Even, 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 even the most pious make a sacrifice, right? I feel that some people look at that decision, and I can see definitely the argument that that is 
as as amazing as Rent is, and I will love Rent for my entire life. Some would say, look at that representation. That 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 moment of am, animal cruelty. No, 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 not the animal cruelty. The the fact of you have Mimi, who died in the original, in in La Boheme, she dies and then she comes back to life, and then you have the only trans representation, one of the first trans representations on the Broadway stage. No, definitely a super yeah. early res- representation. Yeah. And that one person dies. That only that one person is the only person in the entire cast that dies. It's true. It's true. Um, Everyone else, with all the, of the gay men and the lesbians, get to live, but the one trans character is dead. Yeah. I mean, like, it, 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 it's not, like, the best. Um, like, in, in overall, the story, like, a bit tragic. But, like, no musical holds up to any standard of a, a, a positive, like, best social norm. Again, like I said, I will love Rent until I die. Like, oh, it, it, it doesn't take away from how brilliant the work was. So... Following the 1959 Musetta's Waltz, adapted by Bobby Worth for the pop song Don't You Know, and a Della Reese hit earlier for One Night of Love, it was also a 1969 Paris. In 1969, an American jazz-free pianist, Dave Burrell, Dave Burrell, recorded his La Vie de Boheme with a seven-piece group of European and American musicians. The music on the double LP is improvised and experimental, but the listener can still discern Puccini's themes as well as the narrative arc of the complete opera. Then, in 1996, Jonathan Larson brings you... Rent. Here, the lovers, Roger and Mimi, are faced with AIDS instead of tuberculosis and progress through the action with songs such as Light My Candle, which deserved the the reft reference from La Boheme, and many characters are retained with changing some things like Angel is given the surname Chenard. Um, like, uh, uh, um, like listening to you, like read that, it makes me think, uh, honestly that like, um, did, did like the, was the tuberculosis crisis also botched? I mean, like, like, you, you, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I, I, I don't know. Like you, you think about like, cause the AIDS epidemic obviously was yeah. botched, right? Like the, the AIDS response, um, the, the, the response, response to Legionnaires in Flint, that was botched, right? And we're going to talk more about yeah. that definitely. Um, and, and like, obviously coronavirus, right? We could, we couldn't, we couldn't possibly do be doing worse in this point, right? Like, like when you're, when your team is losing a hundred to zero and you think to yourself, you know what? My team tried hard. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Either the other team was so much better or your team just completely screwed the pooch. Jonathan Larson was another Jewish gay genius like Howard Ashman who dies of AIDS too soon but achieves what others would only dream of, 
except for two facts that are not true in that <laughs> statement. <laughs> I was all like, wait, hold on. Jonathan Larson didn't die of it. But it was thought that he did. I know, right? When it came out, I remember thinking, and I, I sometimes even forget, Jonathan Larson did not. did not die of AIDS and was not gay. Yeah, I'm sorry. That is not true. And like, if you watch the the musical, you kind of realize he's Mark. <laughs> if if you listen or watch um, Tick Tick Boom, which is Jonathan Larson's work, actually before Rent, it's about how Rent basically came to be. It's the story of of the pre Rent, and it's about his rise to fame. And him struggling as a waiter at the Moonlight Cafe. He's the kid that literally like could afford to leave at any point in time because his parents can get him out of there. But instead, he decides to film the whole thing and exploit people there. And you know what? I'm not trying to hate on Mark, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like uh, um, he doesn't necessarily have to be there. He wants to be there, mm -hmm. right? He can pay his rent if he probably talked to his parents or he could go somewhere else and live. Probably. Yeah. It seems very likely. Like, like, like I, like I, I, the, the, like, I don't want to continue to fall into like the whole ideas of these like uh, uh, stereotypes that like are perpetuated through like uh, um, a lot of things, you know, like um, I feel like this musical is, is super important, but it also like um, it, it shows that like Jonathan Larson didn't really he is a great musical creator i want to start with that he's a great musical creator like like um i think this musical deserves more respect because people like respect guys and dolls right people respect oklahoma right why can't we respect rent on the same level when it's obviously just as entertaining and at least tries to teach us something right you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, people hate on this musical, and I don't know why. And I get it. I get it. Like, it, it is supporting a lot of, like, uh, um, like uh, uh, the, 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 the white supremacist machine, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, uh, while also trying to rebel from it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, like, it, it's, it's honestly because, like, the, the things that they, they talk about, like, um, even though it's, it's, it should be about why aren't people getting cared for around this disease? Why aren't people getting cared for around uh, um, uh, uh, um, being able to live? Why aren't people getting cared for? That's what the mu musical is about. And it's like sort of, it's it's light. Like it should be more like, um, uh, we didn't start the fire. You know what? Like we, we didn't start the fire is, is just like statements of fact. It was thanks actually to Billy Aronson okay. who came up with the idea of adapting La Boheme in 1988. So Jonathan Larson was working at a diner at the moon dance where he met Jesse L. Martin. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I saw law and order. And like when, when I, when I saw him on, uh, um, cause I, I used to watch law and order when I was a kid. Yeah. Definitely. And when I, when I saw him on rent, I was like, Hey, and the, like, like he has a really good voice. And uh, who is going to be playing Tom Collins. And you may know him from Law and Order. I knew of Law and Order before I knew of Brent. I, w I, I was kind of like a, a legal show junkie when I was a kid. I don't know why. Like, no, I, I, I also liked Boston Legal. And uh... <laughs> Jonathan Larson was born, was born February 4th, 
eight days before mine and Lincoln's birthday on 1960 in New York City, influenced by Sir Elton John, The Beatles, The Doors, The Who, Billy Joel, and classic composer of musical theater, especially the great, wonderful Stephen Sondheim, who got involved in his writing after he submitted it for review. So he got to meet the most powerful, wonderful genius, the king of modern musical theater. That's really cool. Yeah, who also learned from the king of his generation's modern musical theater. Man, could you imagine if Jonathan Larson could have passed on that information? He went to summer stock theater program at the Barn Theater in Augusta, Michigan as a piano player, which resulted in him earning his equity card for members in the Actors' Equity Association, which if you are able to go to Michigan when theater is coming back to life. Hopefully soon, hopefully. Uh, Support your theaters, by the way. Support your local theaters. I went to this theater to see Bonnie and Clyde, and it was was phenomenal. Like, these are pre-Broadway stars. Uh Like, they make their way to Augusta, Michigan, do the barn theater work, and they do the after show, like, in order to earn their equity card. Once they earn their equity card, then they go like pretty much directly to Broadway. So Augusta, Michigan, little known is a pipeline to Broadway. That's awesome. I did not know that. I didn't know either until recently. That's cool. I mean like, uh, um, we'll just, we'll just have to check it out as soon as, uh, all of this, uh, uh, pandemic nonsense yeah. is, uh, finally cleaned up in 2021. Hopefully. Before making it into Broadway, it had a stage reading in 1993 and then went into rehearsals and previews, the last of which Mark Campbell, who wrote The Revolution of Steve Jobs, a Steve Jobs opera. Yeah, you showed me that. That was, uh, um, <laughs> it was actually kind of cool because they like, uh, um, were trying to, um, what, like make it the technology like on the same level. And I, like, uh, uh, I, I can respect that. Like, you know, um, you know, some people are like, ah, oh, musical about Steve Jobs. And like, well, you know, Hamilton worked out. Uh, <laughs> that being said, like it, 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 it was uh, fun to look at and it would have been interesting to, to see it in person. Hopefully we can see it one day, again, when theater resumes. And as well as the revolution of Steve Jobs, he also wrote As One, a transgender opera. And it was an experience of what it's like to be transgender. You can tell that Mark Campbell, who is an openly gay man who I had the pleasure of meeting with, and connecting with in New York last year with his premiere of Stonewall the Opera. And we have a little video clip of him on our YouTube channel at Sky Rainbow Productions and available on our website at S-K-Y-E-R-A-I-N-B-O-W.com, skyrainbow.com. Yeah, you definitely should uh, go over there and check that out. As, as one is is a revolutionary... It is the first opera about the transgender experience in a really honest and truthful way. I had the pleasure of seeing as one the revolutionary transgender opera 
at the Carytown Concert House. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. In Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, definitely a staple in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that sounds really cool. Yeah, located in downtown Carytown in the Little Gaberhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny that you call it that because it's also like a, a used to be like the black community in downtown Ann Arbor uh, before it got gentrified. But Rent started at the Nederlander Theater in April 29th of 1996, and it went on to win all over. Um, Jonathan Larson was posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, the Tony Awards for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, and Best Original Score, the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book of a Musical, the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Music, and the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Lyrics. The drama, the New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Musical, the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best Musical in Off-Broadway category, and three Obie Awards for Outstanding Book, Outstanding Lyrics, and Outstanding Music. That's a sweep. Cleaning up. Larson, unfortunately, did not get to see any of that. He, He died unexpectedly the morning of Rent's first preview performance, Oh, Marfan syndrome? That's a, a, a heredity disorder of connective tissue resulting in abnormally long and thin digits and also frequently in optical and cardiovascular defects, right? Um, that's like, like completely just weird disease, boom. After his death, Larson's family and friends started the Jonathan Larson Performing Arts Foundation to provide monetary grants to artists, especially musical theater composers and writers, to support their creative work. The Jonathan Larson grants are now administered by the American Theater Wing thanks to an endowment funded by the Foundation and the Larson family. I mean, that's really cool that, like, uh, all of this has happened uh, uh, because of that. And that's, you know, like, this is another musical that has, like, sort of led to, like, uh, an interesting foundation being created. That is so so weird, right? Like, because we were talking about, like, Hans Christian Andersen, and then we were talking about, like, even Guys and Dolls. By the wonderful genius Frank Lesser. And it was um, one of the few winners of the Pulitzer Prize, and usually that does not get awarded to musicals. That's true, but, I mean, Lin-Manuel won. Yeah, inspired by Rent. There you go. (laughs) in january 25th 1996 theater workshop in new york city made sure that rent's story was told like uh, um one thing i want to want to point out like uh, um you know this whole process of like moving um like moving through workshop and workshop workshop like that's that's what i assume like you know that whole line of like uh, um like spike lee is making another film i hear spike lee shooting down the street right so, so Spike Lee made eight films in the period it took him to make Rent in New York City. Yeah. Did you know that? Well, I mean, not, not eight, seven. Spike Lee made eight films, and seven of the eight were made in New York City. Like, uh, so, surprising. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's, 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 it's kind of crazy and fun. Like, he made, what, Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Feeder, Fever, Malcolm X, Crooklyn, Clockers, Girl Six, Get on the Bus. Um, was the only one, Get on the Bus was the only one, because it had to be, because it was one from... It was in a bus. Right. And <laughs> Right? <laughs> Going from Los Angeles to New York. But here's, here's the crazy thing, and why I'm bringing this up, Kevin. Yeah. Right? The Get on the Bus, the only, mo- the only movie Spike Lee did mm-hmm. in the period that Rent was being made about 
like uh, um like that was not about New York. This movie yeah. was actually about the um these group of people yeah. going to a protest, and then there was a independent filmmaker recording them and this whole thing trying to get big and also portraying a protest a filmmaker who's trying to make it big portraying a protest and the only film not about new york rent isn't that funny like that whole connection there that's really cool i i'm glad you went there I knew about, like, Get on the Bus, but I didn't remember when Get on the Bus was made. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I knew he made a bunch of New York, uh, like, films in New York. I didn't make, knew he made so many. And, like, of, of course, of course, then, well, it would like be... I mean, he's like the Black Woody Allen with, like, better social skills. <laughs> well, I think that can be debated, too, because he did, I think, was it the Skittles that he prompted with the couple that when Trayvon Martin was killed there was something that he sent a tweet and it was this old couple who had no idea what was going on yeah yep exactly yep, yep. yeah um in 2013 uh, yeah in 2013 Spike Lee uh was sued for angrily posting uh the wrong uh, uh Zimmerman uh address mm -hmm. so uh yeah that's 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 not cool um but I get it like uh, um there was a lot of outrage around that but like yeah, still still not cool. Like do right. do your research always, always, please, America, please. Yeah. Can direct link connection with character developments between Labom and Rent. Let's talk about them. So Mimi, a seamstress with tuberculosis in Labom, is now Mimi Marquez, an erotic dancer with HIV, and Roger's girlfriend. Rodolfo, a poet in Laboam, is now Roger Davis, a songwriter musician who is HIV positive and Mimi's boyfriend. Marcello, a painter, is now Mark Cohen, an independent Jewish-American filmmaker and Roger's roommate. Musetta, a singer, is now Maureen Johnson, a lesbian performance artist and Joanne's girlfriend. Chenard, a musician in Laboam, is now Angel Dumas Chenard a drag queen percussionist with AIDS who is Colin's partner. I think that is said specifically to make it um, either ambiguous as in terms of the status, because I think that rather than saying boyfriend or girlfriend, partner is a genderless connection. Yeah, but Shonard uh, didn't die, did he? Yeah, so like, and that's why that's why I have a a, a problem with the, the the like sort of direct correlation, right? Because you have this like crisscrossing of like outcomes for certain characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're you're right. I mean, there's definitely a lot of like, uh, um, obviously, like uh, uh, he used Labo M as a, a as a basis to build this. Colleen, a philosopher in Labo M, becomes Tom Collins, a gay part-time philosopher, professor a New York University anarchist with AIDS and Angel's partner. El Sindoro, a state counselor, is now Joanne Jefferson, a lesbian lawyer who is Maureen's girlfriend, also partially based on Marcello from the original Labo M. Benon, their landlord, is Benjamin Benny Coffin III. And we are going to take a quick commercial break and be right back with a little snippet of a 
Talk by Mark Campbell. And here, folks, is a little snippet of the talk that Mark Campbell gives. If you want to see the full version with video, check out Sky Rainbow Productions on YouTube. That is S-K-Y-E-R-A-I-N-B-O-W Productions on YouTube. Hi, Mark Campbell here. Uh, it's a real honor for me to have been asked to talk about the late Jonathan Larson. Here was a new writer. Here was a writer who was capturing our times now using our vernacular. Um, no one was representing East Village in, in musicals. And um, there he was doing that. And not only that, representing many characters very truthfully. Uh, I was especially excited the way he wrote um, Angel, a trans character, broke down the uh, stig um, stigma against AIDS in this musical, I hope, and I know we keep trying, um, to find writers of his quality and his specificity, his sense of humor, um, his edge, um, his humanity, ultimately his humanity. Um, I don't know if we're if we will, if we do, we keep trying. Um, I just know I miss his work. Um, I think of I think of Frank Lesser, uh, who wrote Guys and Dolls, and that's a, when I think of his lyrics. They're so funny and they're so brilliant, and the craft in them, by the way, is perfect. And so much craft is missing right now. Cool. Yeah, definitely did. I really have a an issue with Benjamin Benny Coffin the Third. Um. Not because of like what he does and how he behaves. Honestly, like uh, um, he is uh, um, sort of like he, he he wants to be an oligarch. He he's he's fine with it. He doesn't he doesn't care about his friends, and that's that's cool. I mean, like you know, I get it. Like capitalism, yay. But uh, um, what happened to Benny? What happened to his heart and the ideals he once pursued? Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. Like it's not like uh, um. Uh, uh, people haven't sold out and like, uh, um, and there are definitely a lot of, uh, uh, examples of that, of, of like people selling out, um, like, Ooh, Ooh, uh, um, like, uh, uh, um, like, like for instance, Patty LaBelle's nephew literally was paid money to lie about having a Twitter account that he obviously wasn't, that he obviously wasn't using just so he could like, you know, uh, help someone lie about something. Like, and people do it all the time, right? Like, they, they put money over their honor, money over friendship, money over whatever. And, like, uh, it's it's not cool. It's definitely not cool. My problem with Benjamin Benny truly is, is that, like, I feel like there's not that many black landlords. And I definitely don't think there's any black landlords in New York. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I know that their black landlords exist. Mm -hmm. I know they exist. But I also think that their percentage is incredibly small because the internet doesn't seem to have any data on that, but tons of data on black renters. That's one of the problems I had the mo with the movie. They moved the timeline back, it seems. Why do you think that was? The stage production, it was like in the 90s. Like, that's what I thought this was taking place, the 90s, okay? In the movie, they moved it into the 80s. They moved the timeline back 10 years instead of 96, which is supposed to be taking place like current, like 95, that era. 
um, you haven't moved back to 80 something, 88 change the perspective a little bit, but I also, because AIDS was like being ignored under Reagan. I don't know because to me it angered me because you have a, a fantasy in my opinion of the Joanne parents characters. Like in the eighties, I am hoping that I am saying this wrong here, but eighties black kids that were gay were getting kicked out of their homes. There are definitely issues uh, with uh, um, black America dealing with gay culture. And like, that's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, Like that being said, like it's, it's handed down from white supremacy, right? Oh, 100. I'm 100% agree with that. I just, I think that Joanne's parents, even in the stage play were like, don't wear your doc Martens and wear a bra. And here they are in the movie version hosting a wedding party for their butch. Okay. Joanne was a stud. She was a butch black lesbian. Okay. And when she's put in a dress in the tango Maureen and she's seen as this like, you know, more feminine character. I think that is, uh, and not an accurate representation of the Joanne that I have come to understand in Rent. She is a stud. Her parents do not approve of her dressing more masculine. They don't approve of her lesbian lifestyle, quote unquote. And uh, Maureen is tolerated, but she's not embraced. Well, I think uh, Chris Columbus really um, uh, didn't really have a grasp on the material. I mean, that's the way to put it really nicely, honestly. I, I, yeah. I'm not trying to draw, draw shade, but, like, at the end of the day, like, uh, um, maybe someone uh, with more of a queer eye uh, to, to help them, like, figure out how the whole thing should look because it, it looked awkward. Yeah. The, the movie looked awkward. It didn't look like Rent should feel. I mean, I built this movie up. I remember, I remember hearing this movie, hearing, this, hearing the soundtrack, um, and... I was a butch lesbian in high school coming out and seeing someone like myself at the time who more I equated to Maureen, the Jewish drama queen. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, wow, this is me. This is who I am. This is representation. And it actually helped me come out to my late cousin we both loved musicals. We both grew up mu- on musicals. We both knew who Leah Salonga was before we heard and saw Jasmine's singing voice in Aladdin. So we, we, we were musical theater like geeks from like day one. That's really cool. Yeah, I can't, I can't say that uh, um, I have that, that level of roots. I didn't really uh, know what... My mom had taken me to musical theater, like I've mentioned before, but yeah. like I, I wasn't really like even anywhere close to serious about it until... Uh, um, like high school, um, like I did theater. Yeah. Like uh, there were definitely like really uh, um, odd moments of theater and uh, um, a bunch of like, <laughs> like I, I'm I'm ashamed, but like like uh, um, like Sunday school theater like stuff. Not not Sunday school theater because it was like church. There were church plays, but I get what you're. No, you know you know what right? You know what? Because they would be musicals, wouldn't they? I remember being in college and I remember going around 
And for some project, I don't remember what I did, um, probably one of my theater classes, is I went and I asked people what their favorite musical was. And I asked one African-American woman and, oh, I love when the church does. And she was clearly talking about something I had no clue of. Oh, there's a ton of church musicals. I mean, Tyler Perry, right? This is before Tyler Perry became big and I had no idea. Well, no, 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 of course, of course. But I'm just saying like, he's just an example of like, like how church musicals can like, you know, uh, go from nothing to like huge and then like build a career. I saw the the original on, you know, on on stage, but I I saw the original um, Diary of a Mad Black Woman from what it became to a movie on the stage as a musical. And I was like, Wow, this is very interesting. Yeah, I, I I wish I'd seen the the musical version of that. That that actually sounds like it would be interesting to watch. But yeah, I, I did learn. Uh, it was interesting because like, wow, I you are clearly talking about something else. I have no idea, and we're not on the same page. But it was good to. It, it was like the one answer I didn't expect to get. I expected to get what are musicals? I don't know any, um, or someone name a musical. But I did not expect the saying something about the church and calling that a musical yeah yeah well well in and like honestly like i don't i don't even think of that because like uh but they definitely are right like i mean like if you like if you look at like what musicals are like you have like certain play songs and like no they're not always they're not always completely related to the source material like we we recognize that right like you, you you can't say that every single musical has every single song perfectly placed in it. Like, I wish I could say that, but it's not true. I think the best musicals do, right? Like, Into the Woods. Like, yeah. like you can't take a song out and have the, the show make sense. <laughs> right? Like, and, and that's a possibility. That, like, like you can have a musical like that. I, I think, I would argue that the Guys and Dolls version of, on, on, in the movie would make more sense if you put some songs back into it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the changes that came along with Rent. So this is the early concept? Everyone except Mark had AIDS, including Maureen and Joanne. Perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive. Um, but you, like, I assume that's why, uh, uh, what, uh, um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone um, yeah. like everyone has AIDS. Yeah. Like I, I assume that's where they get that from. Well, 100%. If you, if you take out the lesbians, everyone essentially did except for Mark. The only people they took, they were, they changed were Maureen and Joanne because yeah, let's face it. Lesbians. Yes, they can get AIDS, but the, the rate is extremely low compared to gay men and heterosexual people. Like, I mean, it's just, I remember asking my class is I, I was, I was a student in high school and I asked the class, do lesbians get AIDS? That's actually interesting, but I mean, that makes sense, right? So I guess, I guess the truth is, is that like dudes pass AIDS because that, that's the only part of the equation, right? If you are a dude, do your dude diligence and wear a condom. Yeah. Essentially Maureen was a serious, angry character who played off Oedipus in her performance piece instead of Hey Diddle Diddle. Mark was at one point a painter instead of a filmmaker. So I think that's the original. Yeah, I'm glad uh, um, a painter, really. A photographer would have been a better choice than that. 
He's gonna carry an. He was gonna carry an easer, and uh, like he's gonna carry this around on stage all the time. Come on. <laughs> Roger was named Ralph originally, and wrote musical plays. Angel was a jazz philosopher, while Collins was a street performer. Angel and Collins were both originally described as Caucasians instead of people of color, and Benny had a somewhat enlarged role in the story, taking part in songs like Real Estate, which was later cut. I own all your asses because I own the real estate. Mm, mm, yeah, I own the real estate. I own your ass. You're going to get evicted. As of 1994, New York City New York Theater Workshop left out these songs you're a fool do a little business the predecessor to you'll see featuring benny mark roger collins and angel female to female a and b featuring maureen and joanne he's a fool he says right brain later rewritten as one song glory for featuring roger You'll get over it, the predecessor for Tango Maureen, featuring Mark and Maureen. Real estate, Benny tries to convince Mark to become a real estate agent and drop his filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, chase your passions. I mean, obviously, it's important to uh, figure out how to pay your bills and and do all that blase squase stuff. But at the end, end of the day, like you know, there are there are things that uh, um, make your life easy. And when you chase your passions and figure out how to like uh, um, use those to like fill your coffers, you you will have a much more fulfilling life. And the other one was Open Road, the predecessor to. You're what you own. The light, the heat. Sorry. <laughs> Your eyes, the light, the heat. On January 24th, 1996, after the final dress rehearsal, Jonathan Larson gave his first and only newspaper interview with the music critic with Anthony Tomasini of the New York Times, noting that the show was debuting exactly 100 years after Puccini's opera. Oh, wow. That's pretty too. cool. But starting on April of 1996, it was at the Nederlander Theater and closed September 7th, 2008. It is the 11th longest running show in Broadway history. It was adapted into that film version by Chris Columbus in 2005 as well as international acclaim being performed in Denmark, Estonia, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Belgium, Netherlands, Ireland, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Switzerland, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, Greece, Canada, United States, obviously, Mexico, Panama, Bolivia, Brazil, Argentina, Russia, China, Hong Kong, South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, South Africa, Australia, Guam, New Zealand, Israel, Puerto Rico, Austria, Peru, Trinidad, 
and Tobago, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Czech Republic, and Guatemala. Now that's a list for you, right? Like, you know, um, uh, like I, I think it's really interesting, like, uh, uh specifically with this musical because like, uh, um, yeah, uh, I get it. Like, uh, uh, some people may find it uncomfortable, uh, because they don't want to deal with, uh, um, the re- realities of the world. That being said, like, I personally think like Rent probably makes one of the best ideas for a high school musical that you could do because you don't necessarily have to, um, like go too far into like making it explicit. Well, that's that, but they actually did do that. They had in 2008 musical theater international began licensing rent school edition for performances by schools and non-professional amateur theaters in the United States and around the world. That's really cool. Definitely. And like, you know, that, that that's, that's, uh, that's why I think rent is probably like, um, like I, like one part I, I, I look at the hatred around rent and I'm like, you probably hate it because of its message around like AIDS and its message around like the acceptance of like people that are not like you. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, um, and also like, honestly, just like, uh, Hey, poor people are allowed to exist. Homeless people are allowed to exist. That being said, homeless people should not exist. And we're definitely going to talk about that. Yes. We're definitely going to talk further about, all of the issues that it brings up with regarding to pandemics. Well, there's the homeless chorus, right? There's the homeless chorus in that. And, and like, like, um, no room at the holiday in again. That song should have been in the movie. Why was that song not in the movie? Cause they don't know how to show. You know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's just like really frustrating. Cause I get it. Like we all have our corporate backers and whatnot, but here's the thing, right? Like when we make a movie, when we make a musical, when we make all of this art, we're adding to the historical record, right? We're telling people exactly how the world is in this moment in time to let other people know about it in that future. And that is hugely important. You know what I mean? So we have to like really think about how we want to portray things. And if we don't portray things truthfully, like when you go to Wikipedia and you feel you see lack of information around things, or when you go to like, um, uh, like you, and you have to like spend all these extra time digging on in other areas, which is fine. And you should always dig and look up and do your research. But at the end of the day, right? Like there is obviously this current of like status quo, conservatism going on that we seem to be trying to ignore that has always been in charge of America. You think about all these like long bread lines and you think about like all of these, like, uh, um, like, like going on through the coronavirus, what's, what's going on like right now today. And like, uh, like, like, like even with like the Flint water crisis, people have like long lines for water, you know, um, like all, all, all of these like sort of really that should be, like getting a list of these people in need and then delivering to them. So we're not like having this ridiculous amount of traffic. It would probably be much easier for a, to have a list of people and then just like drop off the stuff and then follow that. Right. Cause then you only have one vehicle doing all that instead of like a bunch of like a huge line of cars everywhere. Like that's weird. Um, like bread lines are weird to me. You know what I mean? The idea of that. Like when you could probably just pay people to deliver the bre- the bread, and then not only do people get bread, but people are getting paid to deliver bread. And I get that there are people like, like uh, um, helping like distribute, but those people would still be needed 
even if they were filling trucks instead of individual cars. Think how much time it would save for the general populace. But like that, like in my opinion, that's the difference I think between like a Republican response to something and a Democratic one. Like we're trying to figure out the best idea to get the the best effort to like uh, sort of streamline things, and Republicans are like, oh wait, that's too expensive. And really, it isn't. It never is the most expensive thing. It just sounds expensive because you're itemizing it but you're never comparing it to the actual cost of things. No, they don't really care about the actual cost of things. They only want to point out the cost of things that they care about and not compare it to the real world value. Yeah, absolutely. I am. We're going to get into casts now. Castanets, did you say? Like in, oh, you hear our castanets. <laughs> Hernando's Hideaway. Ole. Now, there's another musical, right? Hernando's Hideaway. Like, um, I can respect that musical. I don't know what it's about, honestly. I only know a few songs. Um, okay. I know a dark, secluded place. A place where no one knows your face. A glass of wine. A fast embrace. It's called Hernando's Hideaway. Ole. All you see are silhouettes. It's from the pajama game. And oh, all okay. you hear okay. are castanets. And no... One cares how late it gets. Not at Hernando's Hideaway. Ole. I, um, okay. The pajama game musical, not uh, uh, not Hernando's Hideaway. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, but like, like, yeah. that's another example, right? There's there's tons of like these random musicals that are out there, and I think like uh, Rent at least like gives something to argue about. The pajama game is based on like seven and a half cents, um, which is what the story deals with labor troubles in a pajama factory where workers demand for a seven and a half cent raise and are going unheeded. Wow. This is really, this is actually very, <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> but it's like, oh wait, this is like the other side of rent. Like, uh, uh, we, we need to get paid. That is so funny that we just like, it's very interesting. Yeah. Again, I've heard the title. I've never looked into the title. Yeah, I've never really, like looked into the show either. Anyways, so yes, we may talk about the pajama game at a different different time, folks. So stay tuned for a potential pajama game edition. Oh yeah, we definitely have a lot of cool ideas about uh, different shows that we might want to do. But uh, um, I I do want to bring up this. Like, if if you're interested in like helping out. Um, uh, helping Talking Musical History podcast, and I hope that you are. Uh, please join our Patreon um, and and help shape what we do next. We would love to hear from you and have your feedback and support. What's that Patreon, Kevin? That is patreon.com slash Stonewall the Musical as we journey from the page to the stage. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that's how we got to Castanets, like, uh, <laughs> oddly enough. We are now going to go over the casts of the various rents in the original New York theater workshop in 1994. We have Mark Cohen as Anthony Rapp, who you may know as from your good man, Charlie Brown, and also more recently Star Trek discovery. And, and he stars like with um, Wilson Cruz. Like how perfect is that? Wilson Cruz is I know him best as playing Ricky from my so-called life. And the fact that he is on there and they're both like awesome and openly gay and fabulous. And Star Trek discovery is so good, by the way, please, please check out that show. 
I, I never thought I'd, I'd like a Star Trek show like so much ever again. He also was in Chris Columbus's film as well, Adventures in Babysitting. I freaking love that show. Uh, and Elizabeth Shue, I hurt her so much. Oh my goodness. But uh, uh, yeah, like, I mean, uh, it, it's so fun, all the connections uh, throughout the world. I mean, Star Trek Discovery, like, you know, we were talking about that. It, uh, like, uh, um, that is a really fun Star Trek show. I never thought I'd love Star Trek ever again. In the 1994 Theater Workshop, Roger Davis was played by Tony Hoylin then later replaced for the Broadway 1996 with Adam Pascal. And he and Anthony Rapp returned for the movie. Mimi Marquez was Daphne Rubin Vega. She was in the TV series Katie Keene just this year and Smash in 2012. We have Tom Collins originated by Pat Briggs. Pat Briggs is the lead singer of a rock band, Psychoautica. Psychoautica. Psychoerotica? There's no R in there, but it's <laughs> it's a rock band, Psychoautica. I've never heard of that. But then in 1996, Jesse Lamont Martin, or Jesse L. Martin, took on the role, and Jesse L. Martin played Tom Collins in the original Broadway cast as well as reviving it for the movie, along with Tay Diggs as well, who played Benjamin Coffin III. Yeah, uh, Tay Diggs was on the original Broadway cast, right? And uh, Michael Potts was the uh, one that started off in the New York Theater Workshop. Yeah. And then Tay Diggs went on to become How Stella Got Her Groove Back. (laughs) And then we were like right back to... uh, um... Back to Rent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he was also in Chicago. So phenomenal. So very fine actor. Very amazing. And that is also where he met his wonderful wife, Adina Menzel, who was the original Broadway cast. The original person who originated the role of Maureen was Sarah... Knowlton. Knowlton, yeah. Adina Menzel, of course, uh, went on to do Frozen. Um, and she can do nothing else for her entire life and she will be golden rent. And then as Alphaba as well with wicked. No, no, she definitely seems like she would be a, a real uh, fun person. Yeah. And also, you know, she did uh, what uh, guest uh, spots on Glee, you know, and like uh, showed up on uh, Sesame street and all that. Um, and yeah, she's, she's pretty fun. She was also in, in uncut gems. Like, uh, you know, like she, she's a serious actress, like doing, doing stuff, getting things done. Wilson Germain Heredia was angel Dumas. Chenard. Originated by Mark Setlock and who's an actor and playwright living in New York city. And then in the, made musical theater history with being one of the first drag people of color to be represented on stage. Yeah, definitely an an amazing triumph and uh, uh, for for humanity. Uh, When everyone gets to participate, we all get better, you know, and and that's the end. And, And these stories need to be told, right? And and then we have Joanne Jefferson originated by Shelley Dickinson at first. And then we have in the original Broadway cast, Freddie Walker. 
Yeah. Freddie Walker was also in Law and Order, by the way. Oh, yes. Yes, she was. Some more notable names that also took part in Rent. In the 2010 Hollywood Bowl edition, we have Skylar Aston as Mark. Aaron Tiv- Aaron's vet. Aaron Tivet was it was known in Next to Normal, and he originated the role of Christian in Moulin Rouge on Broadway. On Broadway. Mimi Marquez, we have Vanessa Hudgens, who everyone knows is Disney, um, Disney made little gem there. And Tom Collins was played by Wayne Brady. Wayne Brady Brady. was known for the American version of Whose Line Is It Anyway? And also daytime talk of the Wayne Brady show. Yeah, no, he's a uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne Brady's always a, a a treat to watch. I'm sure he did a a, a great job. I could totally see him as Tom Collins. Yeah, yes, definitely. Angel Dumas-Chenard was Telly Leung, and then Nicole Scherzinger as Maureen Johnson. Tracy Toms was Joanne Jefferson, and Collins Penny was Benjamin Coffin the Third. Yeah, Colleen Spenny was in Stomp the Yard Homecoming for all those fans. And Prom Night. In the 2011 Off-Broadway Revival, we have... There are names, but I really am going towards one. MJ Rodriguez was, of course, Angel Dumachinar. And for those of you that don't know, MJ Rodriguez is a phenomenal transgender woman of color known for pose she was all in other things but yeah i haven't i haven't had a chance to see pose but i've heard a lot of good things i shouldn't say it like that i i gosh i've heard a lot of good things <laughs> god damn it he's like stuck in everybody's vernacular well folks if you want to hear more about rent yeah we're gonna we're gonna definitely talk about uh, um a lot more of the like uh, uh implications uh historical and whatnot around rent specifically like uh, uh thinking about like that time period that Larson was writing Rent, and also like uh, what Rent signifies as this sort of modernized La Boheme. Um, uh, so it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, um, there's like um, there's a lot of things that we already know, right? Um, but like when when we think about like you know uh, the Flint water crisis, when we think about like even the COVID response, like the, it 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 all is very similar to the AIDS response and how we handle homeless people in America. Stay with us for part two of the Rent episode of Talking Musical History. I'm Kevin. And I'm Chris. We'll see you back next time. We're going to have so much fun. Have you ever thought about musicals and history? Have you listened to our latest podcast? We bring you knowledge with tales of woe and glory. Talking about musicals and truths from our past. The protests, resistance. We learn through our complete history. In fighting the man, we act up as one. Let's start a future that brings us all together. Stronger as friends. Tomorrow can be fun. Moving with love. Learning with love. 
leading with love started with love we're talking musical history we're talking musical history podcast hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.